0: Welcome to the Milestones Motivation and Money Podcast, a weekly conversation filled with stories of business, financial literacy, careers, leadership, and resilience. Setting and achieving goals is key, whether they are related to your finances, business, or career. I hope to empower you with these conversations no matter where you are in life. I'm your host, Angel Radcliffe, and on this show, get ready to change your mindset and start your journey to achieve your lifelong goals. So if you need a little motivation to start your day or jumpstart your next project, tune in and be sure to join our community online at milestonesmotivationandmoney.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to the podcast. On today's show, we're discussing the art and science of high ticket sales. This is a topic that many of you want to hear about as it relates to sales and marketing. And we'll be touching base on so many topics such as partnerships, marketing strategy, marketing research, digital marketing, corporate sales, branding, advertising, all those marketing nuggets that you probably want to know if you're looking into starting a business or if you're in the process of trying to scale your business. This episode, we're joined by Daryl Evans, and he is the host of the Mind Shift podcast. He's also been in the business for 30 years in sales, marketing, mortgage. Oh my gosh, so many areas. He's such a wealth of information. And I'm so happy to have him on the show. So let's go ahead and welcome Daryl to the show.
1: Angel, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: I am really going to enjoy this topic, and we had a good conversation in the pre-show. I wish we were recording, so (laughs) I definitely am so excited, and I want people to be able to learn from you and your marketing skills, so how about you start off and give us a brief overview and background of who you are?
1: Yeah, thank you so much. First of all, you know my name is Daryl Evans. I have been very fortunate to now have been in the entrepreneurial marketing and, and sales space for my... I'm in my 30th year. So I'm really, really blessed that I got an opportunity in my 20s to pursue the path of entrepreneurship and really understand what it took to grow a business. I was actually not originally heading down the entrepreneurial path. I actually went to college thinking I was going to be an electrical engineer. And along that path, I was also a general manager for Taco Bell, pretty famous restaurant here in the United States, really good on the college kids' budget. And and during that time period, I was actually became a general manager. I didn't realize what it was going to do to my career trajectory at that time. But while I was studying engineering, I was now also involved with business and P;L and management and food cost and hiring and training and empowering and all of these things. And so little did I know that little restaurant experience, which really wasn't a little experience. I was actually there for a total of 10 and a half years, it really just opened my eyes to business. And so I changed majors, changed it to finance, and even in all of that, I still thought I was going to go do something else in the world of business finance, but not so much entrepreneurship. I did start my first business around twenty twenty one when I was in college, just really to put you know money in my pocket uh, for the weekends, and then thinking uh, you know it was a side hustle as they call it today. And but as I got out of college, I went into my first what I would call full time sales role, which for all intents and purposes, you might as well call entrepreneurship because you don't get paid a nickel unless you close sales. So I I understood now how sales processes were, followed methodologies, understood how to work a CRM, which back then was not the types of CRMs that you work today. And then a few years later, I entered the mortgage industry. And that was when I really started honing some of my marketing and sales. (laughs) Expertise, if you will. Once again, starting in a business in the mortgage industry, you're self-employed, and I had a life event that made me go all in on entrepreneurship and not look left, not look right. So that was kind of the journey. Ten years or so in the mortgage industry, became a top-producing loan officer, owned, co-owned a mortgage company, and of course, everybody knows what happened in two thousand eight and nine. So we closed the company down, kind of voluntary and voluntary, because and without getting into the dynamics. Uh, A lot of people that were outside of the industry wouldn't know what was happening kind of beneath the surface, but we were kind of forced out uh, because of the capital requirements that the uh, banks would ask us to raise more capital at a time when they were turning off our credit. So that's for another story, but started looking around at the industry, looking around at the world of marketing, looking around at entrepreneurship. And I had started my digital marketing journey in 2003, early in the mortgage window, and we have to maybe unpack that a little bit as we go. And so I started an internet marketing division in my in my uh, mortgage company in 2005. And I was an early adopter to YouTube 2007, Twitter 2008. So I was already using social media to to generate leads and and business. And actually, had it not been for those skills that I had adopted early, kind of an early, early adopter, I don't know that I would have made it through 08 and 09 as much as I did. And I took my lumps. Don't get me wrong, but it was those skills. And I looked around and said, Hey, no one else is doing what I'm doing. People were like, Hey, how are you doing this stuff online? I'm like, How are you doing? How are you actually getting business without being online? So I was really early. And uh, of course, that led me to some business decisions and some thought processes about what I wanted to do over the next 10, 15, 20 years. I had a business coach, business plan, all this stuff. And I said, You know, the mortgage industry doesn't have to be the vehicle because I was, you know, there were some reasons I wanted to maybe make the change but I was really looking for an alignment. And so I found that the digital marketing space was gonna allow me the time freedom, the the location freedom, obviously you can work from anywhere. And we dove in, started our agency and met my business partner in 2008, nine-ish. And we started our agency in 2011. And so Yoko Local has been helping small, mid-sized companies now grow revenue, generate leads, build our online presence, all of the things for like the last 10 and a half, 11 years. And we're very fortunate to have generated quite a bit of revenue for for a lot of companies that that needed to help. So we're having a lot of fun.
0: Wow, such an amazing journey. And you, you were sitting there and going through your story and I can tell you were sort of self-reflecting. And I think when we look at the things that we've been through and the places that we've been and those goals and the successes, we're like, how how did I get here? (laughs) Wait a minute. How did this all come together? Because (laughs) in the beginning, sometimes small business can be very messy, the late nights and well, there's always the late nights and early mornings and 24 hour days or uh, staying out on a Friday or Saturday night. But when you think about starting your company, who taught you about entrepreneurship? I know you were into sales, but as far as starting the business, filing for your EIN, like who taught you those basics?
1: I wish I could say I had any lessons on that. I think it was just uh, being curious. I think when you decide that you want to do something, you just have to go get the information. You have to either ask questions. Today obviously we have the internet which is easy, but if I go back into my 20s, you know, where you know, I don't remember how I figured out how to start the uh, S corporation or the I don't know if we had an S corporation or, or an LLC. I don't remember if LLCs were out back then, but me and my business, we had, I had a business. I started in college, uh, a different one than, than the first one. I I just don't remember, but it's like information that you want is out there for at any level. And today, of course, it's available everywhere online. I just think it's a matter of, do you really want it? And if you do go find the answers, ask questions, get pointed in the right direction and Angel, I think one of the things is people have to be humble to say, it's okay that they don't know something. And it's something I learned as a lesson early on. And I continue to tell myself all the time, I don't know everything. Sure. I've been in business 30 years. I've had a number of businesses, had successes, failures, all this stuff. And, and, and I'm still here, but I still wake up every day with the humility of saying, I don't know it all. And I think that probably is where it started for me in my twenties is when I I didn't have a rule book on entrepreneurship. I did get a rule book on how to operate a business inside of a fast food environment, but I didn't understand what it was like to take the next step and have to be responsible for everything, the sales, the marketing, the hiring, all of the things. And I I really have to give credit to books, which I, I like to say my early mentors, which were authors and or speakers in in books. And so the early days of Tony Robbins, Les Brown, Brian Tracy, some of those Zig Ziglar, these were critical uh, components for me when, cause I didn't have, I'm a first generation entrepreneur in my family. And I, so I have, I had to look to other resources. And so I'm a big believer in books. I'm a big believer in back then it was tapes and CDs today. It's online programs, those types of things. So I'm, I'm, I'm just a student, I'm a student for life. And so that is where I think I get my go how to figure it out uh, mentality, I guess.
0: Oh, and I can relate there. So I've always been very inquisitive and in trying to find out how things work. So that's a commonality between both of us that I'm sitting here and I'm like, this sounds exactly like my journey, but <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, but- no, it's, it's true. If you're going to be successful as an entrepreneur, I wish I could say it was as easy as, you know, just following someone else's path and buying someone else's course. It really wasn't even the books because I tell people all the time, even in books, a lot of times the books I read, I get one nugget out of 300 pages. And a lot of times I'll start the book, get three, four chapters in five chapters in and get the nugget that I was looking for. And I don't even finish the book. It doesn't invalidate the rest of the book. It just means that whatever made me pick that book up, I got what I needed and a lot of times you just have to understand that more information doesn't make you more powerful. It's what you do with the information that makes you more powerful. And a lot of people beef with me about that. I remember putting a video up some years ago saying, now information is not power. It's, it's what you do and how you act with the information, which is power. And someone tried to, they, you know, it was, you know, how social media gangsters are. They just show up and start trying to misinter- misinterpreting what your intent is, but it's all good. I just believe that get the information and then take action. And a lot of times you don't need 300 pages in a book. I actually, I kind of under, I wish, I wish books would only be 130 pages max (laughs) because a lot of times the other 170 words are fluff.
0: Right. And Daryl, I want to get into the, the different aspects of marketing because there's just so many. So when I think about marketing, I'm thinking about branding, advertisement, partnerships, digital marketing, there's like the content, there's so many aspects and you can really get lost into it but i know that there's some similarities so what similarities can you point out between all of those aspects that small business owners need to be aware of
1: it's a great question for me i guess i can speak from my point of view i think marketing can be defined as you mentioned you know brand marketing creative advertising digital i think in its core I think in its core, and, and I want to I'm gonna see if I can come up with a quote that I want to say Peter Lynch said, and I'm probably wrong with the name, so, so don't quote me on it, but I, I think I learned early on that marketing and innovation are the only two things you're investing in in the company and everything else is a cost. And I, I came across this quote either in the late 90s or early 2000s. And here was this business guru, well-respected during his time. And and so marketing for me became this, it's the thing that drives the engine forward. A lot of people say, well, nothing happens until a sale is made. And that is true. I I really believe in that. That that was something else I learned in, in the 90s. And that nothing happens in this country until a sale is made. So salespeople have a really hard job, but the marketing engine, which is how do you build brand? How do you, the similarities are this, you could be the best person, best company, best product, best software service on the planet. But if nobody knows who you are, it doesn't matter. And what small businesses fail to recognize, at least the ones that we've worked with the last decade is that they complain about their competitors who are out marketing them with whatever we could talk about. It could be social media, it could be digital, it could be paid ads. They could think the website looks better. I've heard it all. I remember, this is a funny story. One of, my, one of our clients, one of our best clients back in, this is 2014, 15, we actually got into a tiff with this client. And mind you, we took his business from, he was getting roughly 20 or 30 leads online per month he was in the lasik eye surgery space and if anyone knows that, that particular product or service lasik eye surgery is when you have a surgery done in your eye so you don't have to wear glasses and it's at the time it was a $3800 surgery so it's not cheap and we took his business to where he was getting roughly 240 inquiries per month so we 8xed his inquiries about getting the surgery. He was a good, great surgeon. And what was really interesting was we ended up in a beef because his website didn't look as good as one of his competitors. And I tell you that story because he actually, we ended up terminating our arrangement over the fact that we didn't recommend that he build a prettier website. And so without going kind of in a dovetail with this thing, I think marketing means certain things to different people. For us, we are in the marketing side of the world that generates leads and revenue it doesn't mean the website shouldn't look good it should but a good looking website doesn't make your business successful nor different does your brand new logo make your business successful the video that you did for your television commercial all of these things are components to what i like to say your brand awareness which means the more you're aware to your ideal customers or to your potential customers the better chance you may have to bring them closer to you when they have a problem that your product or service can solve. And so I try to stay away from the, 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 the different genre arguments about brand and creative. And I mean, I, I, I've i heard it all. So, But I think that if marketing isn't making you visible to your ideal prospects at a point in time when they may need your product or service, they actually find you and know who you are and trust you, then I think you're just approaching marketing you're, you're not focusing on, you're majoring in minor things is the way I like to say it.
0: That's a very good summary because again, it can be confusing just to have all of these different variations and components. And when we think about sales, that's of course, a part of marketing. And you, when you talk to someone who's a new entrepreneur, they may say, no, it's not a part of marketing like it is. And, you know, yes. while we're on that subject, you know, it's, it's all a part of like scaling your sales and your marketing, they're key in addition to understanding who your target audience is. But for someone who's been in business and they're wanting to scale, what do you think that first step is for them?
1: You know, scaling a business, assuming the business has been around and they've had some success, you know, I'm obviously going to lean towards what's available in digital because I see in most cases. A lot of businesses today that have been around for a while now, if we're talking about a business that just got started a few years ago, they're pretty, usually I find that they're pretty digitally uh, sophisticated. They're, they're already involved with social media and doing things of that nature. I, I think the problem comes, I think, with some of the businesses that have been successful for five or 10 years, 20 years, 50, you know, I've got one client, we've had one client that was 43 years old and their resistance to step into the unknown because this is totally unfamiliar land, all of this digital stuff. And so scaling comes down to understanding, in my opinion, understanding A, what is the market potential for your ideal customer? A, if, assuming there's enough of them and you haven't tapped into all of them, most of the time, scaling is about visibility and I'm going to call it attraction or capturing the attention of them at the moment of their need. And here's, let me use a couple of examples and see if I can paint a picture when we took a we had a company that was a 4 million dollar company that came to us uh, many years ago and we grew the company we helped grow the company to 22 million in sales what had to happen to go from 4 million to 22 million clearly there were enough people in the marketplace who needed his product or service but what changed between 4 million and 22 million. And and again, this analogy is applicable to almost everything we we do and how we look at all of uh, this process of scaling. We A, first of all, focus on what happens in your ideal customer's world when they realize that they have a problem that they need to solve, that your product or service can solve. And let's just use this one example. In this particular example with this company from four to 22 million, it was that the person in some way, shape, or form has wrecked their car. Whether someone hit them, they hit something, but now they have a disabled vehicle. And so a lot of people say, well, well, what's the what what has to, you know, what is this person thinking about? Well, our team, we do a, a psychological analysis on what is going on in the mind of that person when they're sitting there thinking, geez, maybe they got rear-ended, maybe they actually hit somebody, whatever the case is, but what's going on psychologically for them? Now, the auto body shop doesn't understand what we're doing in this process, but basically we're sitting in the seat of this customer. This particular customer is sitting there saying, I've tried I'm trying to get Trina to soccer practice tomorrow. I've got to get Jimmy to, to, to baseball, you know I mean? He, they've got all of these questions. So we do a psychological analysis on what's going through this person's mind. And then we start to outline what are the hurdles? What are, what, what are the problems they're going to face in trying to get this resolution to their situation? We found back then angel that the biggest complaint or the biggest fear or problem they were having wasn't which shop was going to fix their car. It was, how am I going to get the car that's disabled to a shop? And then how am I going to get a quote from that shop and then get another quote and get the car moved around? Because nobody wants to try to take the car to three different places and get quotes on this car. And some people know that the insurance companies try to force you to go to their own shop. Well, what we did was we talked to the owner and we said, let's make this process Even though this person is at a point of pain, at a point of frustration, how can we alleviate that and get them to your shop faster? So we created an online app, not an online app, but we created an app system. Today, it's a little easier with cell phones. Uh, Today, with taking pictures and uploading pictures back then, 2012, 2013, it wasn't as sophisticated. We basically said, hey, happened to be the owner's name was Mike. Hey, Mike, is it possible you can give this person a quote without actually having the car in the shop? And he says, yeah, we probably can do that as long as we've got four pictures of the damage from different angles. So we ended up working through this to save time on the example. We figured out that if we could get the the uh, injured party, the person who had the car broken down, to take four pictures uploaded to the web app, his team could then provide a quote and give a guarantee, presuming there were no other up- outstanding circumstances. And so what we ended up doing was this person didn't want to take the car to two or three shops to get it quoted out because in most cases they probably have to have it towed. That one change of meeting that person at the point of pain skyrocketed. He would report back to us that 80% of the people that sent the photos in to get the quote, they came in and closed the deal. So at a $2,000 average car repair, you can do the math. So for us, it wasn't about SEO per se. Sure. They had to find him online. And yes, we were doing Google ads. And yes, we were doing social media. But this one aspect of understanding where the buyer was coming from in that particular point of pain is what helped solve that problem. I'm going to give you one other quick one, Angel, if I may. And, And I'm not trying to just stay in local businesses, but I think everybody listening to this can think about local scenarios like this. There was a plumbing company that came to us some time ago. And in my marketplace where this company was, there were gazillion plumbers and they all had big budgets. And to get a Google ad campaign with some of the best keywords, they were going to have to pay $40 a click. Now for a a younger company, that's only two years old, they can't compete in that market. They can't compete at $40 a click. So, but we knew that hot water heaters, when they go out, they produce a problem that someone needs to solve immediately because I don't know about you, Angel, but I don't want to take a cold shower on purpose more than once. If I find out that the water heater is out, I'm not trying to take it, you know. I want somebody to fix that ASAP. If you're in a cold cold state, it's even less than that. What we found out though is this was their highest profit margin service, but to compete in this market was $40 a click. So, we we back we I guess I would say we reverse engineered what could happen to the water heater before it goes out what signs or symptoms are happening that the homeowner could notice that would let them know the water heater might be ready to go out? Well, it turned out that there were four things that possibly would indicate that the water heater may be going out soon. And so we optimized around those problems. So for example, if the homeowner goes out and sees the water heater is leaking water in this particular area or this or that, I can't remember exactly what the four things were, And we optimized around those problems. So if I'm a homeowner and I say something's leaking and I go Google, why is my water heater leaking, et cetera? Well, we would make sure that they showed up there as opposed to trying to show up for water heater repair. Once again, that scenario, we snuck in beneath the radar and met the person or the homeowner at their point of curiosity or pain or uh, inquiry. And we snuck in behind market competitors that had far more budget. And we've done this, over and over and over again. And so in, in scaling, a lot of times it's finding places in the market that your top competitors aren't even paying attention to. Maybe they're lazy about, but it's really doing what I call, like to call deep work and finding pockets where there are market, there's market share that they're not even thinking about. And in an age where people are now searching full-on questions, six, seven, eight words in their question, there's always market opportunity that your competitor is not thinking about.
0: Right, and I still agree with you. And I'm thinking about... Everything that you just mentioned, I'm, I'm imagining this gigantic word cloud and really pulling, pulling all the pieces together and scaling sort of leads businesses to this growth that can be unimaginable for some. And I know some of your specialty in your talks, you talk about high ticket sales. And in my mind, the only way you can get to that high ticket sale is to scale your business. Now, you may have a difference <laughs> of opinion there, <laughs> but- But when people are getting ready, or let's take, for example, people that are on social media. So you have these influencers and people who have whatever business and they're selling digital courses that will range from that $3,000 to $5,000 mark. To me, that's a high ticket sale, right? And you may consider something a bit higher, but Mm -hmm. what does it take for someone to get to that point to say, this is my offering and I want you to pay me $5,000?
1: Yeah, I think the number one thing is you have to understand the value that will be produced from experiencing that course, for example, and whether it's a high ticket course or it's a consultant or an agency like ours, you know, I I've, I'm very, I'm caught off guard sometimes when I think back to when we started the agency, we were helping companies grow and only charging like 350, $400 a month. I'm embarrassed to actually say that, but a lot of times it has to do with having of what the value is that you'll bring. So if you think about the company I just use as a quick example, and then I'll circle back to high ticket thought processes, the company that came to us with 4 million, and I'm just going to stick with that one. There's so many, so many examples I could pull up, but from 4 million to 22 million, and then he gets a sale for 30 plus million. I mean, our fee along that journey was only $300,000. And as much as some people say, well, you made $300,000. No, I run an agency. That's not all profit. Are you kidding me? So I think about as the years have gone on, it has made me more aware of how much value my agency really brings to companies. And it's an exponential number. So as the years have gone on, it's really changed my perspective on what high ticket means and how to add value to a company. And a lot of times we began exploring this a few years ago where a lot of businesses are being burned. They, you know, a lot of marketers out there today, it, the market is crowded. People are popping up from everywhere, from their inbox to their text messaging, to the social media feed, to the IG feed. Everybody's saying they're a marketing expert who can get them results. And yet yet my agency only exists because they're not getting the job done. My, my agency wouldn't make it if every business came to me and they were happy. They all come to me and they're, they're, they're not even... They're, they're I'm not even saying it on the show because it'd be profane they're ticked off. And the reality is it's because people don't have some of these these intricate thought processes on getting into the market, getting into the buyer persona, getting into the buyer's journey, and then matching that to their their sales cycle. I love the conversation about high-ticket sales. I think high-ticket sales for me is, is it's no difference selling something expensive than selling something cheap. I learned this in the mortgage industry. When I was first in the mortgage industry, I, I, I got into the industry and niched. I did niche down and I only worked with a certain type of customer when I first got into the mortgage industry. And that had a lot to do with my lack of capital. And so I didn't want to try to market every, everything to everybody. I got very specific. And I recommend this, by the way, Angel, to every business who may have gotten, they've maybe lost their way. A lot of times before we scale, we scale down to scale up. So we come back to that in a second, but I think with regards to what I learned in in the mortgage industry was I was working with first-time home buyers at the very beginning and they were buying and by the way, this is going to sound crazy in today's day, but they were buying hundred thousand dollar houses. You know, that's not even available in Vegas anymore. I mean, you can't buy anything for hundred thousand dollars, but it was a hundred thousand dollar house. Well, then I got this doctor who was buying this $1.5 million property. And what I realized was my initial thought was maybe I'm not qualified to do that, that transaction, but I realized it required all of the same tools, it required all the same paperwork, it required everything the same. And he just, and matter of fact, it was easier than working with the first-time home buyer because he was a very successful doctor. He didn't have time to deal with all the minutiae. And when I asked him for all the paperwork, he got it to me in like, like two days in this cool-made envelope. And he was like, I can't be bothered with the loan process. Just make sure everything goes well. Cause I've got to run a doctor's practice. And I would nitpick with some of my first time home buyers about getting me all the paperwork. What I realized then was it's just as easy to close a big deal as a small deal. And the reality is the only way you close high ticket sales, it's, it's doesn't matter what the value of the sale is because a human is involved, right? So a, you got to show them empathy. You've got to show that you understand their problem. You've got to show them a solution. You've got to build trust that your solution is going to get them to their, one of my mentors calls it, you got to get them out of hell and into their paradise. And if you don't understand what their hell is and what their paradise is, it doesn't matter what the price of the product is, right? It doesn't matter. So part of this conversation around marketing and sales and over the years, I've just developed a a recipe, if you will. I think it's important for anybody that's in marketing and sales to really understand, as I mentioned, what I just like the way he put it, what's, what's their hell. And your job is as a guide to lead them to their paradise. But if you can't clearly articulate their paradise, then it doesn't really matter what the mechanism is that you're selling course, you know, product, SAS product, e-commerce, none of it matters unless you can really articulate someone's you know held a paradise story and then map that through through your process. I hope that doesn't sound too esoteric but it's all psych- psychological in my opinion and I think marketers who spend more time in understanding behavioral psychology not that they have to go get a degree in it but if you've lived long enough you can notice these tendencies. So I hope that helps a little bit
0: does. I wrote down something that when you were speaking, we scaled down to scale up. And I'm saying, I really like that because some people start out the gate with their high ticket product, and then they're going back and they're reevaluating what their offering is or what the relationship is. And then they have to think about, well, am I really reaching my target audience or what does my audience need? And it goes back to that process of reevaluating and re-strategizing. And sometimes I saying, all right, well, maybe we need to have a variety of products and and scale down this initial offering. So I really like that you said that. And I think it's, you can really use that particular comment, no matter what type of business you have. But when people are talking about business, and I want to take, for instance, people that have a service-based business and they particularly work with like consumers. So it's all about building relationships, especially if you're on social media, you have to really reel in your audience, build that relationship, become a little bit more personable. So business is a little bit more than transactional. And you think about, well, and I want to specifically go off topic because I want to go to people who are really afraid of social media and they're wanting to put someone else as like the face of their business. Now, a little bit of what you do on that digital marketing side, you're not necessarily becoming the face of someone else's business, but it's almost like they're turning over some of that responsibility to you. But what advice would you give to someone who target audiences? online or they're using social media for their marketing and they're really scared to show their face or relate to their audience.
1: Angel, this is gonna I I just don't have an easier way to say it. They're going to get over that. They just are today you have to you have to get over the idea of trying to put someone let's say it's an agency or a, a freelancer, you cannot hear me clearly you cannot outsource your expertise. I say this, I have to say this I don't know, half dozen times a month to clients. They want to stand behind the shield of the brand. They want to stand behind the years of expertise. I've got clients right now. I've got two uh, gentlemen who are top producing insurance agents out of uh, Atlanta, and they are deathly afraid to get in front of a camera, but they are so dynamic. They are great speakers. They dress well. They speak well. And you say, hey, we need to get you to start doing one-minute videos to share your expertise on platforms like Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to go over to TikTok, great. I'm not saying you got to dance, but I'm saying we've got to take advantage of the opportunity that's presented. And what we have to coach them through is this idea that all you're doing when you put your face into your marketing is you're building what you said earlier, Angel, which is trust and relationships through these digital platforms. And so it's just a transferring of understanding that you can't outsource your expertise to an agency. Sure. Our agency writes, sure. Our agency has writers and we can do all the copywriting and we can do all of the technical things. And we can even, what we have to do in our agency and with my coaching clients, Angel, is we have to outline the topics that they need to speak on or present on. And then we have to give them a framework for what they should do when they turn the camera on. And I gotta tell you, over the last seven years, it has been we used to have a video production studio in our business because video is that important. So if your listeners are are in this space, B2C, B2B, it really doesn't matter. You've got to be more forward. Look at some of the biggest brand celebrities out there. Look at The Rock. Look at Richard Branson. Look at Gary Vaynerchuk, look at Mark Cuban. I mean, Damon John, if you, even these people all grew up behind a brand, behind a symbol and a logo, but now they're visible to the world. And I say for any business that's working a small, medium-sized business, they've got to get from behind the logo and get out into and be the face of the brand. They don't have to be out there every day, all day. And what I like to say is just your job is just to simply share your expertise give people an idea that you're human. Because like you say, people buy, It's everyone would agree, everybody agrees, people buy from who they like, know, and trust. But if they don't see you, how could they even possibly like you? They can't get to know you and they can't trust you. And this is the plight of a lot of companies that come to us. They are They're just not visible. They're obscure to their ideal customers. And you can't really outsource that By you can't just hire an agency and say, hey, write 25 blog posts and put 32 social media posts up on Instagram. That doesn't make you human. And Angel, I grew up in a time when, and I believe this is the way things are moving. And that is people want to do business human to human, whether it's B2B, B2C, it's human to human. So I think the opportunity, while yes, seemingly overwhelming to some small businesses, there are platforms, there are companies like ours who understand how to take the expertise of a doctor or a lawyer or a plumber or uh, an IT security firm or a hacking agency or a monorail engineer. I mean, I got it all. And we can turn that expertise into bite-sized social media content with uh, a business owner who typically would be afraid to turn on a camera, yet they could stand at a podium and rock the mic in front of a stage of 5,000 people. I don't quite understand why It's this, this is kind of like maybe the fear of public speaking. I think they'd rather jump out of an airplane with no parachute before turning on a camera, but it's, it's, it's necessary today to build brand, to go back even to an earlier question you had about branding and all of these things it all ties in. And it's not as hard as it, as most people think, especially carrying these phones that we have today, which can take care of all the heavy lifting. It's just a matter of the expert committing to sharing their expertise in bite-sized chunks and building up brand uh, brand equity.
0: Daryl, thank you so much for that. I really love the response and I know we're running out of time here, but I have one more question as it relates to marketing, because I know there, m- there might be someone who's listening and maybe they're wanting to start a business or maybe they have started the business, but they don't have the marketing thing down. So what is one actionable step that you can give someone that can help kickstart their marketing?
1: Just one. Let's see. So (laughs) I know just one. (laughs) Yeah, just one. I'll go back to what I just said. I teach a strategy called $1 a day ads, $1 a day ads. Mind you, my background is in direct response copywriting. And I, I got, I cut my chops in marketing, doing direct response, mail, classified ads, things of the nature, which we haven't talked about. But if I were to give them one strategy, I would tell them to sit down for about an hour, maybe not even an hour, 30 minutes, and I would write down all of the frequently asked questions that someone, a customer, or prospective customer would ask them about their product or service. There should be a list of 10 to 20 of these frequently asked questions. Some of these questions might seem like they're just one or two word answers, but just write down the questions. There's another part of the exercise now. I'd, I want you to write down five to 10 should ask questions. And what do I mean by that? That means there a lot of people ask me this, but what they should be asking is this in order to make sure they're working with the right professional. For example, back in the mortgage industry is when I learned this sort of strategy, someone would ask me, What, what is the down payment for a conventional loan? Well, a should ask that would be the frequently asked question. The should ask question is, what does it take to qualify for a conventional loan? It's just one quick example. Once you've got these questions, you can then, whether you want to write out the script, but I would recommend you shoot a video for each question, which means you sort of restate the question and give your answer in one minute or less because that one minute or less video will populate everywhere on every social platform today and then from an amplification standpoint, I use a $1 a day strategy, which can be targeted. Think of a television ad, except not blasting it to everybody. You're sending it only to your potential customers. For example, the insurance company that I just talked about that are out of Atlanta, I have them doing this. They, are, they have two different offices in the Atlanta, Marietta, Georgia area, and we are going to have them make sure that these videos are only showing to people that are within 10 miles of each office, because the reality is everybody within that 10 mile window is either going to need a car insurance policy, a homeowner's insurance policy, a business owner's policy, a life insurance policy, and they may already have one. The problem is, is when the renewal comes up, if my guys aren't visible, they'll never have an opportunity to get a shot. So it's the best form of marketing I recommend on a low, low budget, And especially if you're not super sophisticated with some of the other stuff like landing pages and offers and things of that nature, it's one of the easiest things that people can do. And if you just consider it to be, it's like a replacement to television advertising using social media, you can proliferate the videos everywhere. And then with a dollar a day, Facebook, Instagram, particularly, you can make sure that your ideal customers within the range of where your product or service is, know who you are, whether they need you or not.
0: Awesome advice. Thank you so much, Daryl. And I have to end the show with this one question. Gosh, I feel like we need more time. I have more questions. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I do have more questions on the list, but I know we want to keep this uh, short and and really bite-sized. But this is a question I ask all of the guests who come on the show. And of course, I'm a financial educator, super passionate about financial literacy. And I've built a few brands over the years, one of those being Fallen on a Budget, Now, when you hear that word balling on a budget or that particular phrase, what is your personal definition of that?
1: It's so funny because I remember when I saw that in your profile and I got a chuckle, I'm chuckling again, because I think it's super funny to me, balling on a budget from just a raw thought that comes to my mind is making the most of whatever resources you have, but it doesn't mean play small because you're on a budget. It means playing smart with the budget that you have. Right? I'm a small business guy. I've never been a funded company. We've never gotten venture capital. I've always loved the idea of building something from scratch without having an influence from somebody needing a certain ROI on the investment they put in my company. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do all the time, but what I I understand is when you're balling on a budget, it means you've got to make lean, smart Decisions about how you're going to operate your business, your marketing, your sales. And I think you learn a lot about yourself when you can operate, at, as you would say, ball on a budget. So that's what came to mind when I first thought about it. And, you know, I think a lot of small business owners who are on a budget can understand that thought process.
0: I love it. Playing smart with the budget you have. Love that. I don't think we've had that response, but we'll definitely add it to the list. And this has been great. This has been a really great interview. You've shared some great gems and nuggets. And again, I actually skipped over maybe three or four questions. So I feel like we have a good 30 more minutes. So I love to have you back down the road. If not on the show, then maybe for a live interview, but I'll leave it to you for any last words you'd like to share.
1: You know, first of all, thank you, Angel, for, for having me. I'm always uh, super grateful to be on uh, someone else's platform. And I uh, just want to honor you for what what you're doing in the world of financial literacy and uh, taking time out to produce a show. Uh, a lot of people don't know how hard th- this process is and to keep going with it. Thank you for being a voice uh, for those who need the information. And so hopefully today I've shared something for someone listening that, that was helpful. Thank you for having me on the show and I'd be happy to connect with you again in the future.
0: Thanks so much for being here and everyone, be sure to tune in to the next episode. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Be sure to leave us a review and let us know any ideas you have for a future show topic. And if you really want to show us some love, share this episode with a friend and be sure to join our community online, milestonesmotivationandmoney.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at motivation, and Money. Tune in next time.